If you would open up your Bible today, just go ahead and open up that uh, Bible. You maybe grab that pew Bible that's in front of you, but Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, full of uh, probably uh, some maybe familiar stories for you, but we're going to spend our time in one of the uh, most well-known of those stories in Luke chapter 15. As a pastor that usually likes to preach in sermon series. We have one or two weeks here in between things that we've just ended. We just ended that series about margin. We're going to be starting up another one at the beginning of Lent season. That's right around the corner. Um, So we have these kind of weird weeks and uh, decide what you're going to preach about in that one week uh, or two weeks. Next week, you're going to have the pleasure of hearing from our Kid Zone pastor. You're going to hear Pastor Shauna is come, and she's going to share her heart, and you're going to be blessed by that. And uh, in two weeks, remember that we are going to be served communion by our lead team, which is a leadership training team of kids that are first grade through sixth grade. Isn't that amazing? That's going to be incredible to have them serve us for that. Uh, Also coming up uh, February 19th is going to be another Sunday you don't want to miss. It's going to be our annual meeting. uh, We're going to have elections that day and the next week. But you're also going to hear the staff and I present some of the the God moments and the celebration moments of, of 2022 to beginning of 23. And so today, though, this sermon should probably be a series, but they wouldn't give me an hour and a half to preach all at once on a Sunday. So uh, I'm going to try to take it down, and we're just going to go through part of this this story or uh, one viewpoint of this story. It's a familiar story. Probably a lot of us know it well. Uh, even if you don't, uh, there's probably going to be things here uh, that you maybe have heard before. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 11. I'm going to go ahead and read the story. For you. Says Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found. If you opened up your Bibles this morning, you probably saw a heading right above verse 11, didn't you? What, what, is, what does it say right above verse 11 in your Bible? What, what's this story called? The prodigal son, right? Most likely it said something about a prodigal son, but what is a prodigal? What is that? Well, if you look at a thesaurus. Yes, they actually still have those. A thesaurus, uh, it lists out the synonyms for the word prodigal. Uh, Excessive, extravagant, wasteful, spendthrift, a squanderer. Now, in in your bulletin today, I purposely did not give you a whole lot of fill-ins with the sermon today. The purpose of your sermon notes is really for you to take it home and to spend some time with it and to find yourself within this story. But I did give you one fill-in, and this is it. So write this down. A prodigal is known by his lavish behavior. And so we assigned the title of prodigal to the younger son that wasted his inheritance on lavish living. And rightfully so. He, he did. He wasted it. He squandered it. He lived an extravagant life for a while. But some would say, especially the older brother in this story, that the father was being way too lavish. And he's right too. The father was lavish in his grace that he showed the son after his request. The father was lavish in the forgiveness and the acceptance of that son when he returned home. And so let's ask ourselves, who is the real prodigal in this story? A few years back, I read a a book by an author and, and pastor named Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God. And it totally changed the way that I look at this story. Tradition assigns the term prodigal to that son. And we tend to chastise him for his behavior because he was rude and he was arrogant and he was wasteful and he was lavish. And he squandered away his father's money. 
But this story also tells us something else. It says that the squanderer was also the father. The father who represents God. It is the father who lavished all he had on his son. So in this story, God is the prodigal. Now, before you come up on the platform and kick me off for saying such a thing, let me explain a bit. See, this son comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. And, and that's not, not a, a bad thing. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like saying, hey, I would like my share now because I want to go out and I want to live my own life and I want to do my own things. And so it doesn't, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a bad thing for the son to ask his father. This son is ready to live out on his own. He's ready to leave the nest. He's ready to spread his wings. But that was not what he was saying. This really wasn't what he was asking his father at all. The son said, give me my share of my inheritance now. So in actuality, he was telling his father, I'm going to start living as if you are already dead. Now, legally, he could make such a request, but morally, this was a terrible way to treat your father. Legally, he wasn't breaking any laws. Legally, this was allowed. He was able to ask this question. It was a jerk thing to do to your dad, but he was able to do it. It was legal. You could. What was the sinful in this story is the effect that that question had on the father. Because sin is, is more than breaking a rule. Sin is more about breaking the relationship. Sin is not much about us breaking a rule that God has set forth for us. Sin is more about what sin does to the father. And so the son doesn't break any rules, but in this story, he breaks his father's heart. Then look at this. The words that he used in this story give us an insight into something that's deeper that's going on and what the son actually asked his father uh, that day. Uh, if I read verse 12 in a different version, uh, this is what it says. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, these words here that uh, the King James Version has in them uh, maybe have a little bit different meaning for, for us. And they especially do in the original language. The, the word goods, for example, the, the portion of goods that I am due to collect when you die, Father, and then the Father divides unto him his living. Goods and living. These are interesting word choices that Jesus decided to use that day. He could have used a word that just meant property. He, he could have used a word that just meant money. Those words existed in the original Greek or Aramaic. But he purposely used these words, I believe, that had a, a dual meaning. They had a, a deeper meaning. And that first word, translated as goods in verse 12, 
is usia in Greek, which is a, a word that really means your substance. It's what makes you, you. It's your being. And so basically the son says to his father, give me the piece of your substance that belongs to me. I don't just want my money. I want the piece of you that belongs to me. Give it back. In other words, he says, I not only want to live as if you are dead to me, I want to remove any piece of me from you. I'm done. I'm gone to you. I'll live, you need to start living as if I never existed. It's a little deeper now, isn't it? The second instance here is when the father it says he divides up his living in verse 12. And the Greek word for that is bios. We would say bios, B-I-O-S. So this should read, the father divided up his life. He divided up his life. The youngest son asked his father, not just for stuff, but he asked his father for his life. Basically, he's saying, tear yourself in two and give me my half of you. Can you, can you imagine the, the parent's pain of a child who basically is saying, I wish you would forget all about me. Forget that I've ever existed. And this is precisely what this youngest son did to his dad. And, and I think that we're all pretty quick to, to think, well, shame on him. That was a horrible thing that he did to his father. Yes, it, it was. This is precisely, though, what you and I have done when we sin to our heavenly father. See, we rejected him and we said, hey, God, just leave us alone. Father, just let me live my own life the way that I want to. I want to be the Lord of my life. And the son thought that escaping all the rules and all the responsibilities of his father would, would make him happy. And so the father, because he loves his son so much, is the father just lets him go. And Because he, he knew. He knew that forcing this child, forcing this uh, son to stay was just going to cause resentment. And so he loved his son way too much to, to restrain him. He loved him too much to refuse his request to go. See, a loving father didn't restrict his grown son's free will. And I think you and I, if we're, if we're parents, we can feel this wrenching pain of the father as he lets his son go and he sees him walk away. Because you understand that as a parent, you, as a mom or a dad, as a grandparent, you understand the agony of watching a child struggle or maybe making a bad decision. But think about this. Did the son know how much he was breaking his father's heart? <clears throat> and you may think, well, of course he did, Pastor. I want you to be very careful on how you answer that question because it's going to imply a deeper question. Do you know how your sin affects your heavenly father's heart? 
See, every time that we resist God's control, every time that, that we refuse his guidance, every time that we think that we know how to do our life better than God, we break the heart of the Father. Especially those of us that I mean, we should know better. Because some of us, we've packed up our inheritance and we've just turned our back on the Father and say, we say to ourselves, well, isn't this great? I've got my salvation. I've got my get out of hell ticket. It's punched. I'm good to go. Peace out. It's time to make decisions on my own. See, in this story, the, the sun goes off to a distant country, which is nothing more than just rebellion. And his journey away from the father was made one step at a time. See, this wasn't like some Star Trek episode where <laughs> he beamed himself to a different country. The, the son didn't just say, hey, I think I want to go to Mexico and poof, he was in Tijuana. It didn't happen like that. It happened one small step at a time. The journey away from our father is made the same way. It, it starts when we have one tiny little decision <clears throat> that we are ignoring the will of God. It starts when we make our own plans away from him. It starts when we decide that we can spend our money separated from him. Uh, it starts in our relationships and finally our hearts when we willingly are giving them away to the enemy instead of the father. And we may think to ourselves, but hey, I'm okay. It's, it's all right. I still have my get out of hell ticket, right? The salvation ticket's still punched, right? See, what does it matter, we think, if I make decisions now, if I'm going to spend eternity in heaven anyway? And the devil meets you on that journey away from the Father, and he says, I'll take that ticket. See, you have rejected your father's will. You have broken the father's heart. You are, have gone to a place where that ticket is no longer good. I'll take that ticket. And he says, and while I'm at it, I I'm going to take your relationships. And while I'm here, I'll just take your possessions. And uh, since we started this far, we might as well take your dignity because eventually I'm taking your life. And we are too proud to admit to ourselves that, or even to others, that this journey away from God started very innocent enough. It was just a tiny little step away from the Father. And maybe you look back and there's a giant chasm now between you and God. The fact is that all of us at some point or another have walked away from the Father. Every single one of us at some point in our life have taken our own first step to that far off distant country. And so that son has, <clears throat> he had left home because he wanted to be free to be himself and now he finds himself as a slave to his sin, and he finds himself attached to a different master, the pig farmer. And he reaches rock bottom, and he's starving, and he's desiring even the pods that the pigs were eating. And he saw himself at that moment 
who he truly was and who he'd truly become. The one who turned his back on his father. The one who disrespected the, the father and walked away. So the question is, can we see, can we see the independence of our ways, the, the desire to live in a way that we want to live our life the way we want to live it, right? Will we ever call that attitude sin? And that leads to the liberating realization that once we reach that point of ourselves, that we're in the same predicament that that son is in, will we ask ourselves, why am I doing this? This isn't working. Why am I living this way? What on earth was I thinking? It was a whole lot better when I was back home with the father. You know what? He says, I'll get up. And I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. Notice that the father didn't step in to save his son from a reality that he found himself in in that far country. He never did that. The father loved him so much that he allowed his son to experience the pig pen. That's prodigal love. It seems like that's a wasteful kind of love. Why would I waste my love on somebody who is never going to love me back? Wouldn't it just be easier to force the son to stay home? Sure, it'd be a lot easier. It'd probably be a lot less messy, but that's not love. That's intimidation. And that's not who our God is. See, extravagant love, some might say squandered love, is for someone that only, squandered love for someone that only loves himself, that seems excessive to me. If you're not ever going to get that love back, but you give it anyway, doesn't that seem excessive? It sounds like prodigal type of love to me. And thank God, though, that the pull of that love can be even more overwhelming than the pull of sin. And so the son begins this long journey home and he's reciting over and over this speech that he's going to give his, his dad and to his father and he's hoping to, to earn the right to re-enter into this household as now just a hired servant. And there's a surprise waiting for him. The father has been waiting and the father has been watching and the father, the extravagant prodigal father is the one who doesn't do what's expected here. He's been waiting this whole time for his son's return. And think about it. What, what, if our hearts were broken and this happened to us, what would we probably do? Where have you been? Look at you. You're a mess. But not this father. Rather than lecturing or rejecting this son, the father joyfully receives his son without making comments about his sin. He never reminded him of his past. In fact, when this son was a great way off, the father ran to meet him and kiss him. See, listen, it doesn't matter 
how far off that you've traveled. Because as soon as you cry out, Father, I don't want to live like this any longer, he hears you. And when you are still a great way off, he runs to you. I don't know if the son saw his father, but the father sure saw the son. In fact, the father sees that sinner a long time before that sinner ever sees the father. In fact, he's never taken his eyes off of you. The text says that the father saw his son. It's a great deal that's happening in that word saw. That father saw who he was. That father saw where he had come from. That father saw those pig farmer clothes. That father saw the filth. That father saw his rags. He saw his son's tired face. He saw what he had become after he left home. But glory to God, he also saw what he would become again. What is written stands true for all time and true for every sinner. The father ran toward his child. He kissed him. And he was so glad that he just returned home. See, all God wants from us is for us to come home and receive his forgiveness because all of us have left home in some way or another. Whatever we have, whenever we have looked away from God to get our own deepest needs met, that's when we have strayed from home. See, it's important to realize that this was written. Jesus told the story from the viewpoint of the Son See, when we, when we turn from God, it seems like God is so distant from us. When we've walked away from him, it seems like God is so far away from us. To the son, the father was the one now in a far off distant country. But from the father's perspective, from the Lord's perspective, he never left his son. He was with him the whole time. I've always imagined this scene in my head and I've, I've kind of played it out. Maybe you had that, that scene playing out in, in your head, kind of like that movie theater that's going on in your brain of, as you hear this story. And for me, uh, that house that the father has is this big old farmhouse. And there's a big old yard and the house sits back off of the dusty road out front. And here's the father that's been watching out his window. Or maybe he has gone to the end of the lane and he's leaning on that mailbox and he's looking down the dusty road and he's waiting for his son to return. And when he sees him way off, when he sees him starting to come off way, way away, he starts running to him. See, that's the perspective of the son. I think God looks at this story differently. In our humanness, we see the son walk a long way back before that father ever notices him. But that's not God. See, I don't know how this is going to, would happen, but I think that as soon as that son made one step, one step towards home, I think as soon as that son thought to himself, Throw one more bucket of slop. What am I doing? 
Why am I living my life like this? Where am I going? I've messed up the plan. It's time to go back home. I think that's when the father took off in a full force sprint back to his son. I don't know how an earthly father would ever be able to to know or, or see his son, but I think God, the father, starts running to us before we've ever stepped a foot out of that pig pen we find ourselves in. All it took, all it took for this younger son was one repentance step toward home. Robin's going to come and uh, play the piano for us, but I want you to see here in this story, the prodigal didn't make any excuses. Uh, he, he knew where his sin had led him in life. He knew that he was living in sin. He knew his sin and The consequences of his foolish behavior brought him to his knees one day and he was ready to repent. Admitting our sinfulness, admitting our our sin is not easy. We tend to minimize what we did and we feel the shame and the embarrassment for it, but the father didn't see it that way. He just saw his son wanting to come home. That's all the father saw. And the prodigal father gives all that he has. The prodigal father gives all that he ever has had to you. It's yours. It's always been yours. In fact, he's even given you his son. So let's not waste it. Let's not squander this gift. You see, the following the Father isn't about receiving a get-out-of-hell ticket and then doing whatever we need or wherever we want. You don't need a ticket from God. We need to grab his hand. We need to go through this journey of life here with him now. See, God is reaching out to us. God is here. And God has never left you, no matter how far away you've tried to go from him. And so today, it's time to come home. It's just time to come home. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? I see a different group of people that are here today. I see maybe those that knew what it was like to live at home with the Father. And it started really innocent enough, but one step away from the father turned into two, which turned into three. And before we knew it, we were so far away from home. The time is today that we can turn around and go right back to the father. And the beautiful thing is, as soon as we turn around, even in the midst of the pit, God is there with his hand. He says, let's go back home. Let's go back home. I see those who have been in church a long, long time, just like the older brother in this story. Why so much fanfare made for this younger son that missed things up and has now come home when I've served you for years? And we no longer see the joy of our own salvation 
and the celebration when somebody else comes home. But there's probably people here, yes, you came to church or maybe you are even drugged here this morning and it wasn't your choice, but man, here you are and you've never known what living at home feels like. You don't know what it feels like to live at home with the Father. And so Jesus says, I pray for our congregation today as I pray for those that are watching online today. I would pray, Lord, that those that have left home would turn around and come back. I pray, Lord, for those that have lived at home the whole time would see the joy of the younger son coming home. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never been home to come home. See, it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. God is always there with his hand out saying, let's go home. So Jesus, we have a decision to make this morning. As Rachel said, when we experience your Holy Spirit, we are changed. But I believe that we have the opportunity to decide how that happens. When we experience the Holy Spirit like we have here in in service today, we get to decide whether we are going to follow the Spirit or continue to turn our back to the Spirit. Either way, we're changed. And so Jesus, as we contemplate where we are compared to home, if there is anyone here, maybe you'd just like to make that that step forward. You'd like to say, you know what, my journey today needs to start right now, and and I'm not going to care what anybody else is going to think about me right now. I need to come forward and, and repent and make my journey back home. And God is going to meet you here. Maybe even one of our our pastors could meet you up here at the altar if that's where you feel safe to pray. And you always are welcome to our altars. So if that's anyone today, no matter where you are in your journey back home, if you want to make that decision to come back home, I want you to stand up, not worry about what anybody else is around you. And I want you to come forward to one of our altars and tell God, I need to come back home. If anybody needs to make that decision, let me pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we're sorry for being so far away from home. In our mind, in our heart, as soon as we took that first step away from you, we might as well have been off in that distant far country. But thank you, Lord, for pursuing me. Thank you, Lord, for never letting us out of your sight. Thank you for running back to us. And Lord, we want to come home. We want to live with with you. We want you to be our Lord. We want you to uh, be our king. We want you to help us to, to live our life. 
then we're done running away. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has prayed that with me and prayed that type of prayer with all of our heads bowed, with all of our eyes closed today, would you just silently just put your hand up and just say, Pastor, I'm home. I need to go back home. Thank you for being so brave. Lord Jesus, it's time to kill the fattened calf. It's time to get the party going in heaven. For there were a few that just put their hand up. But I believe that in their heart, they've made that step back towards home. And you're having a party right now for their decision. Thank you, Lord, for accepting them, not reminding them of their past, but just accepting them back home. You are wonderful, gracious, and dare I say, prodigal God who lavishes his love upon your children. We thank you for being that to all of us. Help us to be that to our family, to our friends, and to our community. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done here this morning, and it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen, amen.